And if you've got your Bibles, turn to page 452 to the book of Proverbs. We're in the book of Proverbs. And tonight, Rach and Tim are going to read to us first from Proverbs chapter 5. So we're looking at Proverbs 5 first, and that's on page 452 of your Bibles. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurred correct, spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. One Thessalonians four, one to eight. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passion lust like the heathens who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. I was going to say, let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Uh, Tonight's one of those uh, topics, one of those sermons that I figured I didn't have to work too hard on my introduction to grab your attention, because we're talking about sex. Uh, You could say that our culture is sex-mad. It's obsessed with sex. It really is everywhere, isn't it? Uh, In the TV programs that you watch in the magazines that you buy, in the conversations that you have, it's everywhere. Here's some scary stats about sex. The average age that a person loses their virginity is, in Australia, 16.4. The average number of sexual partners you have in your lifetime, in Australia, this was back in 2006, is 14. The number of people who are virgins on their wedding day is around the 2% mark. As we speak now, of all the people who are searching the internet, one in four are looking at pornography. The number of people who are pursuing same-sex relationships or, or just dabbling that increases by roughly 8% every year. And I reckon today there's no such thing as forbidden pleasure because there's nothing, there's nothing forbidden anymore except perhaps paedophilia. And so even this week, we, we've watched a high-profile figure like Arnold Schwarzenegger fall from grace because of some sexual misconduct. And I have to say that we find it more entertaining than we do shocking. And so you watch one Hollywood star hop from one bed to the next, and we're not shocked anymore 
and from the movies to the magazines, sex is just in our face every minute of every day. Here's one of the most controversial advertising campaigns of Sydney last year. Life is short, have an affair. That was up outside Sydney International Airport in the billboard section there. And you can go to that website or the Australian version of haveanaffair.com.au and you'll be told three good reasons why you should have an affair. Perhaps your marriage is a loveless marriage. Perhaps you're single and you want sex without commitment. But an affair, it might just make your marriage even better. And I have to say, with 5.5 million subscribers to haveanaffair.com.au, it's obviously very popular. See, our society is obsessed with sex. And I reckon our church is becoming increasingly worldly in our attitude towards sex. Let me tell you about three conversations. I've changed the details slightly that I've had with people in this church, not necessarily this, con- not necessarily this congregation, this church, within the last three months. One person said to me, you've got to try before you buy. Of course you've got to have sex. You can't marry somebody unless you've had sex with them to make sure that you're sexually compatible. Another person said, practice makes perfect. They were happy with their number of sexual partners because it made them a better lover. And one person was really, really distressed and struggling with the fact that he was still a virgin because everyone he spoke to, even the mature, seemingly godly Christians, had given to the temptations of sleeping before they got married. I hope when I told him I was a 40-year-old virgin before I got married, he had some comfort. I find it very strange that no one gave me that video, that DVD, 40-year-old virgin for my wedding last year. (laughs) Our church needs to hear about sex. We need to hear God's wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Before I dive in, let me highlight a few dangers with this topic. One danger is that people here might feel excluded. So I'm very aware that our church is full of single people, single men, single women. Some have never married, some have been divorced, some are widowed. And so when I talk about the joys of sexual intimacy, that can be very hard to hear. You're kind of thinking, Paul, I'm trying really hard to avoid thinking about sex and I come to church and you're preaching on it. And let me say, if you're single here, I hope that you won't feel excluded in this sermon because we all need to understand God's purpose for sex and the dangers and the delights of sex, whether you are married or whether you're single. And let me just say that, yes, marriage is a wonderful gift from God, but the Bible also says that singleness is a wonderful gift, not, not a worse gift, a different gift. And sexual intimacy is good and pleasurable. You're not defined by your sex life. You can be a whole person and a complete person and content without being sexually active. In fact, Proverbs was probably written to a, a young man who was single, preparing to get married. The second danger is that some people here might feel guilty or discouraged. And so there'll be people here who have struggled with sexual sin in the past, and you, you're living with the consequences, the consequences of your adultery or the addiction to pornography or that daily struggle with same-sex attraction, and you already feel guilty. And so as soon as I mention the word sexual immorality, your, your conscience kind of speaks to you. And I want to assure you tonight that I don't want you to leave here condemned. I want you to leave here 
rejoicing and delighting in God's grace to you. Of course, there are people who have given up struggling. You don't care about sexual sin anymore. You're fed up with battling. And my guess is that you are regretting coming to church tonight. Just one more thing before we look at the text. Tonight I'm going to focus on sex, but adultery in Proverbs, this this adulterous woman, it could be applied to more than just sex. It's actually anything or anyone or any habit that tempts you and lures you and seduces you away from Christ. So let's talk about sex. Whether you're single and you're striving to be pure and celibate, whether you're married and striving to be faithful, let's look at the scripture. I love the fact that God cares for us enough to address our sexual behavior. Don't you love that? That that your sexual behavior is important to God. Every part of your life is important to him. And in the book of Proverbs, three chapters, chapters 5, chapters 6, and chapter 7, are are dedicated to sex. It's like the father is putting out all the stops on this one topic saying, you need to hear this, son. And if you think about it, if Solomon was the author... I'm sure he wanted to warn his sons about his mistakes when it came to adultery. Let's talk about sex. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 5, 6, 7. It's on page 452. I've got three, three words for you tonight. Here's my first word. Listen. Listen. Please pay careful attention to God's word and God's truth. That's really the plea throughout these chapters. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words. Please make sure that you hear this, digest it, understand it, believe it. Down to verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Don't, Don't ignore what I'm saying. It's no good us hearing what God's word has to say if we choose to ignore it, to turn aside from it. God is saying, I'm telling you this because I love you and I'm teaching you about sex because you need wisdom in this area. 6 verse 20, uh, My son, keep your father's commands. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. It's there again, beginning of chapter 7. He's saying, listen, keep my words, store them up, love it. Do you get it? God's word is God's wisdom, God's truth about our sexual conduct. And we've got to trust it, obey it, live by it, and really believe that God does know best. Uh, to do that, you've got to know the truth. You've got to know what God's word says about sex. And then you've got to hold on to that truth when you're being bombarded by a world that's telling you something different. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. It says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. He's saying you live in a world of competing voices and you constantly hear lies about sex that are appealing and seductive, that drip like honey, that pleasure that promise you so much. I hope you know this. I hope you know that you are constantly hearing lies about sex. It's all around you. 
in the songs that you listen to, in the programs that you watch, in the talkback radio shows, on the billboards, in the magazines, even walking to a local cafe, the world is shouting to you about sex. So I don't think that the media are trying to undermine your, your doctrine of the spirit or your doctrine of scripture, but they are trying to undermine your doctrine of sex. It's under attack every day. And that's why you need to listen to God's word, God's truth. So here's a question for you. Do you really know what the Bible says about sex? Not what you want it to say. Not what you think it says. Do you know what the Bible actually says about sex? Why did God make sex? What was the purpose of it? Is sex only for marriage? How do you know that? What does that word sexual immorality really mean? Is it just sex outside of marriage? What about fornication? What about masturbation? What about oral sex? What about homosexuality? See, here's what I'm finding. More and more of us are fools because we're biblically illiterate. We're ignorant about what the Bible says. Or we just lack discernment. We just believe the first thing that we read. You need to know what God says about this topic of sex. And to put it very simply, it says sex is a beautiful gift from God where one man and one woman in marriage for life enjoy that one flesh intimate relationship. Genesis 2 verse 24-25, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's actually really simple. The Bible does not say that straight sex is good and gay sex is bad. It says sex in marriage is good and beautiful and sex outside of marriage is bad. The Bible doesn't list all these sexual activities that are permissible and others that aren't. It just gives you a simple command to flee from any sexual immorality outside of your marriage relationship. Whether that's premarital sex, adultery within a marriage or any inappropriate behavior with somebody who's not your wife. But you need to know that. Where does it say that? Why does God say that? So I find it really bizarre that we apparently think about sex all the time. But we don't know what God's word says about it. When was the last time you did a Bible study on sex? If it's so important, why are we neglecting this topic? So if you're single here, please get your theology of sex right. It will impact the decisions that you make, who you date, how you conduct yourselves, what you watch, how you talk to people. And you, you'll start to see sex not as a no, 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 what I can't do, but you'll start to see it as a good gift of God in God's goodness and God's kindness. And then you will know why God is asking you to be pure and celibate. And if you're married... Sit down with your spouse and do a Bible study on sex. Read 1 Corinthians 7 where it says don't deprive each other, have lots of sex. That's my first thing, listen to God's word and know what it says. Here's my second word, God. Stay far away from sexual temptation. Paul puts it like this, 1 Corinthians 6, he says flee. Flee sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4 says avoid sexual immorality. And Ephesians 5, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Do you get the picture? He's saying don't go near sexual immorality. 
Stay as far away as possible, whether it's the, the lure of a marital affair with that work colleague, whether it's the seduction of that same-sex friendship with that person who just seems to emotionally connect with you, or the pull of the physical intimacy in a dating relationship, whatever it is, just don't go there. Chapter 5, verse 8. Now, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. That's the adulteress. Keep to a path far from the adulteress. Do not go near the door of her house. He doesn't say stay away. He says don't even go close. Stay as far away as possible. Don't think you are strong enough to resist sexual temptation because you're not. We're all weak. Avoid the places. Avoid the people where your temptations are the strongest. If you're attracted to that person at work, don't have lunch with them. If your eyes are struggling with pornography on the computer, put your computer in a high-traffic area. If you're getting too physical, take drastic measures and just don't be alone. But, but they're all rules, aren't they? They're all rules to be on your guard. The book of Proverbs gives you some great wisdom as to how you can be on your guard. And it really says, be aware of how seductive sexual sin is. Be aware of how seductive sexual sin is. Let, let me just read chapter 7. It's really a story of sexual seduction. And let me say that the roles could be reversed here. So the men could be the seducers and the women could be the seduced. It starts in chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of the night set in. And you've got this picture of this young man who's hanging around the place where the temptation is greatest, flirting with danger at night time. Verse 10, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed to kill, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She's loud and defiant, her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him. Oh, it's just a kiss, just a hug. It's not like we're having sex or anything, is it? And then with a brazen face she said, I've got fellowship offerings at home, today I fulfill my vows. I'm that good religious person. And I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you, verse 15. I came out looking for you. I just want you. You're so special to me. Verse 16, I've got a really comfy bed with new sheets. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come on, let's drink deep of love till morning. Come on, I want to make love to you. It's okay, verse 19, my husband's away. Verse 21, with persuasive words she led him astray and she seduced him with her smooth talk. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's just this story of seduction. I want to urge you tonight, be aware how seductive words can be. Be how aware flattering words can make you feel good and that sort of sex chats you up. It can be words, it can be the body language, it could be the dress, it could be the fluttering of the eyes, it could be the, the tight t-shirts, whatever it is. 
It's seductive, it's alluring, it's tempting. I often hear it, you know, before I knew it, I was in bed with her. Not how we started. Uh, the other thing that will help you to be on your guard, again, I know it's a stick, not a carrot, but that's what the Bible says. It says, be aware of the consequences. Be aware of the consequences of your sexual sin. What are the consequences? Let me read a few. 5 verse 4. The lips of the adulterer strip honey, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. It's that picture where there's no safe place to hold on to it. It's going to cut you. It's going to hurt you. Someone is going to get hurt by this. Verse 9. Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. It can take away the best years of your life, the remorse, the regret, the fear of being found out, the loss of reputation, the loss of respect, the loss of integrity. And according to 5 verse 10, there seems to be some financial cost, lest strangers feast on your wealth. Whether it's the cost of visiting the prostitute, or the cost of buying porn, or the cost of child maintenance, or a broken family. Verse 11, at the end of your life, you'll groan. You'll say, how I hated discipline. And you're thinking, Paul, it's not that bad. It is that bad. Here are some of the consequences that I have thought of of your sexual immorality, whether it's an extramarital affair, whether it's premarital sex, whether it's whatever it is. Here's just some I've, I've listed regret, hurt, broken homes, disease, jealousy, unplanned pregnancy. Damaged reputation, careers destroyed, trust broken, inner guilt and remorse, loss of reputation, loss of respect from your own kids, images ingrained on the brain, addictive patterns to break, shattered souls, perverse sexual expectations. And if you don't believe me, be a fly on my wall in my office and I talk to the man who had an affair, or if I sit with the engaged couple who are trying to work through the the scars and the regret of a past sexual sin. A pastor in the U.S. advises his church to make a personal list of all the possible consequences if they were to indulge in sexual immorality. So I did that. If I were to be seduced, if I were to be unfaithful to my wife, I would bear the consequence of the untold hurt to my wife and my best friend. The loss of respect for my wife, my colleagues and my church friends. Why would my kids bother to listen to me anymore? The shame in the church family. Smugness and laughter in the community. I'd be following the footsteps of all the men I'd watched for and I thought, not me. But most of all, I would grieve my Lord and drag the reputation of my Savior into the mud. Isn't that the reality? Please think about it. Don't indulge in your forbidden pleasure. Consider the pain. Consider the destruction. Consider the cost. 6 verse 27 sums it up well. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. There are consequences. So guard, guard your heart. Flee, avoid Not even a hint. Here's my third word. Delight. If you're married, 
delight in marital intimacy. If you're married, the Bible urges us to cultivate a strong, intimate, sexual relationship with your spouse and be captivated by your spouse. Let me read verses, chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Let me warn you, it is quite graphic. The cisterns and the wells are the female genitalia. Uh, the fountains and the springs is a euphemism for the male genitalia. He says, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, never share your sex life with strangers. It's for you and your spouse. Verse 18, may your sex be enjoyable and fun. May your fountains be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And here's when it gets erotic and graphic. The beauty, the fondness of being enraptured in lovemaking. A loving doer, graceful dear, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Did you spot the word her? May her breast satisfy you. May you ever be captivated by her love. Not somebody else's body, not somebody else's love, but your spouse's love. Stop lusting after other people. Be captivated by your spouse. It's really very simple. If you're married, why rejoice over some other person when you've got a beautiful spouse? Why be captivated by somebody else when you've got a spouse? And if you're single here tonight, surely you want to be captivated by your future wife or your future husband and not look back with regret. We should never be ashamed of talking about sex. It's a beautiful gift, good and right for married couples. It's God's design and it's beautiful. Let me speak to you as married people here, if you're you're married tonight. I'm guessing you didn't expect to come to church to hear this. But delight in pursuing sexual intimacy with your spouse. If you're not pursuing intimacy with your spouse, and of course, there's times when you're not able... But if you're paying more attention to your hobbies or to your kids or to your favorite TV program, but you're neglecting intimacy in marriage, you need to change that. The Bible is very clear, 1 Corinthians 7. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and then for a time so you can pray. So if you've got time for sex, but you've got no time to pray, stop having sex and pray more. But if you're not having sex regularly, be warned and have lots of sex. You ever read that? Sex outside of marriage is wrong, but marriage without sex is also wrong. God's gift for sex is beautiful. And if you're again you're single, all this talk about sex should be showing you how good and how beautiful God's gift is, and you shouldn't want to abuse it or live with the consequences. And the book of Proverbs makes it very clear to choose wisely with your spouse, because a poor match will just eat away at you. There are three words, listen, guard, and delight. Know what God's word says. Stay as far away from immorality as you possibly can. And if you're married, delight in that sexual intimacy. But again, let me finish by reminding you, we've got to read Proverbs as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. So your sexual morality does not save you. You're not saved just because you're sexually pure. 
Your sexual purity doesn't, doesn't define you. You're saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you're defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anything, all this talk about sex should just throw you back onto God's grace. Read the Gospels. Who did Jesus minister to and encounter? Sexually immoral people. The prostitute, the adulterer, the fornicator. And what did Jesus do to them? He forgave them. And he transformed them. He said, come, come follow me. See, God sees everything. 5 verse 21, a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He sees everything. He sees your sexual past. He sees your sexual present. He knows all the consequences. And it's all been wiped clean at Calvary. Isn't that amazing? Whatever you've done in the past sexually, it's all been wiped clean at Calvary. He's forgiven you. More than that, he's actually empowered you and equipped you to live in this sexually charged world and live for him. How? Because greater is the one that's in you than the one who's in the world. He's given you his power of his spirit, the same power that conquered the grave. It lives in you so that you can live by grace and live by the power of his spirit. Our world is sex mad, but you've got a savior. Live for his glory, trust his word, delight in that word, and live according to the scriptures. Let me pray. My son, keep my words. Store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with their seductive words. Father, thank you for the beautiful gift of sex. Thank you that you've made us as sexual beings. Thank you that you know best. All your ways are good. Help us to trust you, to believe you, and to live for your glory.